Bible to turn me again to Mark, Mark chapter 14, and we'll pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, reading, reading from verse 53 through 65. Mark chapter 14, and with verse 53. And he led Jesus away, away to the high priest, and, and, and were assembled all, all the priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself by fire. And the chief priest and all, and all the sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bore faultness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some rose up and bore false witness against him. Would him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then their testimonies agree. And the high stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What, what is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, you the Christ, Christ, son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be worthy of death. Then them began to stand on him to blindfold him, to beat him, and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. In our sermon, when we saw Jesus was, was taken prisoner there in the Garden of Gethsemane due to the betrayal of Judas, and now we see that he is led to be involved in trials. Now at the beginning of this particular trial period, we need to understand and to carry all four Gospels together to be able to get the full picture of what is transpiring here in the Gospel of Mark. Matter of fact, Mark gives us the least amount of detail that's taking place in these trials that we have. But it's very important that we look at the suffering and grief of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after His, his wrath and during this, this trial. And, and we'll see that there are actually six phases that Jesus go, go through on this particular night. We're not going to look, look at all six phases this morning, but I want you to be aware of the six phases that will be taking place as you bring, bring together the four gospel accounts. Let me share with you these accounts that are found in the four Gospels. You can look at them in your spare time or possibly even this, this afternoon. In, in Matthew 26, 57 through chapter 27, verse 26. Here in Mark, chapter 14, 53, all the way through, through chapter 15, verse 5. And Luke 22, 54 through chap, chapter 3, verse 5. 25, and then John chapter 18, verse 12 through chapter 19, verse 16. 
So you have, so you have to take all four of these the and bring them together to actually get the full picture of what transpires in this time Jesus has been arrested and brought before the high, high priest of Sanhedrin, Pilate, and Herod. And important for, for us to study Jesus' suffering faith because we are told in Scripture by Peter himself that he has set an example before us. We're not look at Peter this morning. We will look at Peter a little bit later. But we do see that Peter is observing, observing all that's taking place. He's following Jesus at a distance. But Peter is not the only one that is following Jesus. We also learn John likewise follows Jesus at a distance. And John is the one that, one that allows them to actually to get into the courtyard because he was friends with, with one ones that was guarding, guarding the door. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sin and just for the unjust, and he might bring to us God and put to death in flesh, made alive by the Spirit. And he also says in the second chapter, verse 21, To this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you follow in his steps. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus endures in, in cross, in the trials, in all of his grief and suffering, is for us. Not only for our salvation, but, but as he tells us, for us as an example that we follow in his steps. And he's speaking of the suffering and the grief. You hear pastors often say, you know, come to Christ and you will have a wonderful life. You will have, will have no problems, etc., etc., etc. That's not what Peter is telling us. Peter is telling us that if you are in Christ, that you, you will actually suffer. You need to look at the example that Christ has given us so, so that you might follow in His steps. So we must study the suffering of Jesus Christ so that we, that we might follow in His steps. Now this would be incredible if it, if it was not true that literally thousands of Christians throughout the age suffered in following Christ's example. Now not many of us in this room have ever suffered in following Christ's example, but Christians all over, over the world, even this day, that are suffering in following Christ's example. I don't know if you know or not, or not, but in China they have tightened up the laws pertaining to religion. Christians are experience greater persecution in China today than they have in years gone by due to these new laws. But these words of Peter give those Christians great comfort. Comfort that they need in their persecution and trial. And we don't know what the future holds. If there is a little radical little administration that's over in our country, we could possibly face persecution in our lifetime. We don't know the future, but we need to be ready to follow in Christ's steps if persecution comes. Now the first thing that I want us to look at is the religious examination that takes place here in this particular passage. That of came before the high priest. Now, the word high priest is used, but it's hard to tell 
unless you could go to us other the gospel with our priest is bespoke of. What we have to keep in mind is not only Caiaphas, who was the reigning high priest at this particular time, and there was all Annas, his father-in-law, who had been high priest ten years earlier, and he had, he had been deposed, but he still had had much power. Matter of fact, he had five sons, and most most of them became high priests, and he had a lot of money. And we see in this, in this particular situation, and money had already been used to bribe Judas, and also we see that, see that money is used to bribe these wit- witnesses, and probably the money is coming from Ananias, who had, had been a high priest. We see that Je- Jesus, first of all, led to Ananias. We see this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 18, I mentioned just a moment ago. It says, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Well, who is the high priest that is, that is asking Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine? Well, if you look down at verse 24, it says, And Ananias him bound, bound to Caiaphas, that's the high priest. So the high priest that is speaking of here in verse 19 is Ananias. And then later he sends Jesus to his uh, son-in-law, Caiaphas. So keep that in mind as we look at this religious examination. Now, understanding this trial, we see simply how corrupt the religious leaders were in Jesus' day. We've seen it as we go through the Gospel of Mark. We even see it, see it more in the trial. I mean, they break all of their laws and they handle the, the conviction sentencing of Jesus, as well as how Jesus is treated physically. Now, now this will be clearly seen as we go through the trials in six particular phases of the trial. But let me mention some of the things that take place. First of all, the Sanhedrin was, was not to meet at night. Well, when is this taking place? It's taking place around midnight, early in the morning on Friday. Second, the death penalty could not be declared on the same day as a trial. Well, we'll see also that that's not the case here. Third, there was false evidence and false witnesses used. Now, just a moment ago, Deuteronomy, and, and it spoke to us about what was to happen to a false witness. A false witness against someone, and if they found that he was a, he was a false witness, he was to, was to be given punishment of the one that he charged the crime with. Of course, we see that, see that that doesn't take place. And then fourthly, Jesus is exposed to blows during trial, which so was illegal. And then fifthly, it was illegal to, to meet for a capital case the eve of the Sabbath. And Friday, of course, the eve of the Sabbath. So these are just a few of the things that this particular court, not only Ananias, but also his son-in-law, and also the Sahedron broke. Now, of course, the Jews denied that they did anything wrong, and they continue to deny it. Let me read what one Jewish scholar said in relationship to this and about the Gospels. He says was, was asymmetric distortion of the Gospels. Here, here's what he says. Ananias and Caiaphas actually did all they could possibly and humanly to save Jesus. 
whom they so dearly loved and cherished as their own. Well, let me say, that is fiction at its highest. I mean, for, for it is clear in the Scriptures, and of course he rejects the New Testament, but it's clear to us in the, in the New Testament that they did not love Jesus. They hated Jesus, and they did everything they could to get rid of Jesus. They, they knew that Jesus had not broken any law deserving death. And John tells us that Caiaphas asked Anna, his father-in-law, to help him. So they put their heads together and they came up with this plan to seek to put Jesus to death. Now even though Ananus, not the high, high priest at the particular time, as I already mentioned, he had been deposed ten years earlier, he still had great influence over the Jews and religious leaders and, and the Sanhedrin. So, so therefore he began this process of being Jesus to death. As I mentioned, he had five, five sons and he was, was powerful for nearly 50 years. As, as he ruled over the, the Sanhedrin, I guess you could say behind closed doors, as he sought to, to cause them to, fo- to follow his particular plan. Now, we know that the religious leaders already used, used Jesus, I mean, had already used Judas to bring Jesus to trial. As they sent soldiers to arrest him, now we, we see that there's actually what we call a kangaroo court. Now, children, you might wonder, what is a kangaroo court? Is a hopping court or what? Uh, but the definition of a kangaroo court really fits this particular situation. A kangaroo court is a court that ignores recognized standards of law or justice, ignores the process, and comes to a predetermined conclusion. A court held by a group of people in order to try someone one regarded, especially without good evidence, as guilty of crime or misdemeanor. So, so these trials begin in an, an unbiblical way. They had violated, as I've already mentioned, every law they could possibly violate by beginning in the darkness of the night. So that they might hide their deeds they're accomplishing. And John, and John tells us that Judas brought a detachment, a, a division of soldiers to arrest Jesus. Now, now there's, there's some confusion about this. How many soldiers actually were, were there? A vision was 500. Uh, it doesn't appear, appear there were 500 soldiers. And some translations even say that these were some Roman soldiers. Uh, but, but again, this was a religious court. These were most likely the religious guards that the high priest used. These are the ones that were sent to arrest Jesus. Now, one of the reasons we know this is because Peter drew his sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus. And Malchus was the temple guard. He was the high priest's servant. So if he was the high priest's servant, most likely it was the temple, temple guard, not Roman soldiers. So your translations might even say Roman soldiers, but notice in your translation it's in italics. Uh, that means it's not in the original, that they're guessing that it might have been Roman soldiers. Well, I disagree with it. They were temple guards that came and arrested Jesus. And bound him. They led him to Ananias and 
Uh, then, of course, first he was led a little bit later to Caiaphas, the high priest. And, of course, we see that he's fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said, led like a sheep to the slaughter. Now, we see again, again in John 18, verse 19, that he questioned Jesus, first of all, about his disciples. Now, notice, none of them were with Jesus. They, they had all deserted Jesus. But, but Jesus never speaks a word to the high priest about his disciples. Even though they deserted Jesus, Jesus did not desert them. Even though they were, they were guilty, Jesus would not accuse them. Because Satan is the accuser, not, not Jesus. Paul, Paul said, who shall bring a, char- a charge against God's elect? It is God, God who justifies. And we know that Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sin, not them. And that's the reason why Jesus sent into the world, not condemn the world, but to save the world from their sin. So the way Jesus was to speak in any way negative about his disciples, he did not say a word to the high priest when he asked him about his disciples. Not only did ask Jesus' disciples, but we all see that he asked about his doctrine. Now, we're not told exactly what questions he asked about the doctrine, but they were probably probing questions about who he was, about his kingdom, about why he was exerting such authority for people. Now, Annas is doing this interrogating, not Caiaphas, and implies that only they, or he's implying that only they, they have the right to teach the church. Only the religious leaders. Therefore, he had no, no right to preaching the scriptures to the common people. Of course, of course this is the mindset that the, that the Catholic Church has had throughout its history. And I can remember when I was, I was a child, they were, were much more strict than they are today, even to the point some of my classmates in, in school were not allowed to have, have a Bible. I mean, I mean, we're not allowed to have a Bible because they were not religious enough and smart enough to, to be able to read the, read the Bible on. The priest had the Bible and the priest had interpreted the Bible for them. So therefore, they, they weren't allowed to even make the Gideon Bible when it was handed out, out I believe, fifth grade. Of course, William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, declared that his heart that every single boy would be knowledgeable of the Scripture as the most learned priest. That should be our desire. My desire as a pastor is that you would be just as knowledgeable as I am. I don't want to say I have a corner of the market and I'm not going to let you join me on that corner. No, I want you to be knowledgeable. And that's why we try to teach you as much as we know so you will be knowledgeable of the Scripture. And that was William Tyndale's desire. Of course, that, that desire to him his life. He was strangled and his body was burned in 1536. But just before he died, he died, he this prayer, Lord, open the eyes of the king. And the Lord, the Lord was gracious. Eventually, his Bible was actually published instead of burned. But here, Anna was asking Jesus, Who are you thinking that you can establish yourself as a teacher? As one that knows those to Scripture, you're not educated enough to do so. Now we see that Jesus replies 
there in, in Mark, I mean in, in John chapter 18, verse 20 and 21, he says, I spoke openly to the world. I also taught, taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always eat in secret. I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said, and indeed they know what I said. So Jesus clearly points out, you know what I taught. In other words, you've heard what I taught. You know exactly what I've taught. I taught, I taught openly. I, ha I haven't hid my teachings. I've even, even argued with the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians. All of these religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, they know exactly what I have, have taught. My life has been an open book. My, my teaching has been an open book. I'm blameless. You cannot bring a, bring a little charge against me as far as what I've taught course. Annas knew this, and this is one, one of the things he was upset about. So Jesus' reply was so overwhelming, it was, was so truthful, that, that it brought what? Well, we see that it, it brought a blow to his face from one of the authors who, who, uh, uh, officers who stood by him. And he, and he seeks to justify his action by say, saying, who are you to tell the high priest to invest the matter himself. But this is important because this is the beginning of violence carried out, out against Jesus. From this point forward, Jesus is, is constantly assaulted by, by other soldiers and people. Even though he was innocent, no man should have been treated like this, but especially an, an innocent no court should ever allow this to happen to such a person, especially when the trial is in process. But we see that this striking begins a constant beating over and over of Jesus' body to the, to the point to where it is not even recognizable as He's hung on the cross. I never saw the movie The Passion. I had a friend who saw it and told me one of the things that he did not like the beating. He said, I just wish they, they would stop. They just continued to beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him in the, in the movie. And I just wish they would stop. But yet, yet we see that's exactly what happened to him. Jesus' flesh torn apart. He suffered for physically over and over again at, at hands of men. Of course, we know, know that was the greatest suffering that he endured, but yet this was part of his suffering, the beating that he took. Now we see also there in Mark, as, as the high priest continued to interrogate him, these men continued to assault him, but yet, yet Jesus never loses his, his composure. We see the response there in verse 23. Or in uh, John chapter 8, 18, verse 3, he says, If I have spoken evil, evil, bear witness of evil, but if well, why do you strike me? And of course, of course, they couldn't respond to that because he had only spoken the truth. And again, here, here's another example of Jesus' humility. We see his strength and his dignity, and we can learn from him. Jesus controls his, his emotions, he ne never responded 
ever in life in a, in a sinful way, but always glorifying His heavenly Father. I mean, that's a marvelous lesson we can learn, right? I mean, is, is there anyone in this room that has always responded in a godly way? You've never allowed your emotions to get out of her hand. In other words, raise your hand. If you raise your hand, I'm going to say you are not telling us the truth. I mean, some might be, might be more mental than others. Some may respond a lot different than others. But all, all of us respond negatively in certain situations. I mean, I mean, most of us are quick, quick to defend ourselves when someone speaks falsely against us, right? We don't like for people to speak falsely against us. Don't believe me. I mean, look at some of the social media and what people post out there when somebody speaks falsely against them. them. I mean, you're talking about opera. All you have to do is look at social media and read and you just shake your head and man, I cannot, I cannot believe they posted that. As I've said before, be careful when you post on social media. Second John tells us in his particular account of this, of this, Jesus was sent to Caiaphas there in verse 24. And we see there in Mark chapter 15 that they're searching for witnesses. Now isn't it interesting, the chief priest and the, it says council, now the council is the Sanhedrin, is searching for witnesses against Jesus. I mean, when you come to trial, Aren't you already supposed to have your witnesses? I mean, when you get in a trial, you don't go again to look for your witnesses. You already have your witnesses. You've already heard your witness. And you say, you say okay, now present their testimonies at this, this particular trial and let, let the judge and the jury make a decision. But here we see that they're searching for witnesses, of course, to condemn Jesus. Now, there were plenty of witnesses. Of course, they weren't the right witnesses. The Sanhedrin and the priest did not, did not want to hear from the witness that could give a positive account of Jesus. I mean, think of, think of a while. At the very beginning of the morning, we saw all the lean man who, remember when they opened up the roof and lowered him down right in front of Jesus? And Jesus spoke to him and healed him. And to show that he had healed, or first he forgave him of his sin, to show that he had, he had, he had power not only, only to forgive, but also to heal him, to pick up your mat and walk. He, he had that particular witness. Or, the, or they also go to, to the blind man who was blind from birth. And remember, remember, he was brought before the religious leader. Well, I don't know much about Jesus, but I do, do know one that was blind at one time and now can see. I don't see them bringing that witness. I don't see them bringing Jairus in there. And Jerry, Jerry being able to give a testimony, yes, my daughter died, and Jesus came, and Jesus raised her from the dead. And then, there, then there's the demoniac. He could have come in there, and he'd, he'd been all dressed and nice and everything, and said, look, look, one time I'm not like this. I was, I was myself, and I was necking, and they had to put me in chains, and now I'm, I'm completely different because Jesus saved me. And then, of course, don't forget Lazarus just a few days earlier who had been raised from the dead after being in the grave four days. I mean, wonderful testimony he could give. But we are told in the God of John, chapter 12, 10 and 11, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death. Now, why were they going to put put Lazarus to death? Because on the account of him, many of the Jews going away and believing in Jesus. And here was a, was a witness saying, look, and look, Jesus raised me from the dead. And people were believing in Jesus and being saved. saved and they said, we got to put the witness to death. 
They weren't going to invite him to this trial and ask him to give the good testimony. I mean, religious leaders had tried to make Jesus look like, like the worst sinner ever, ever to walk on earth. They saw, saw witnesses who would, who would t- testify against him, but they could, they could not find any, any to where their t- t- story would match up with, with one another. The wit- witnesses were contradicting one another. Again, we see that the entire religious trial was a joke. Even their own, their own witness were break, breaking the commandment to not bear false witness. They were bearing false witness. And the Jewish, Jewish leaders were violating their own law by, by not carrying out a punishment against these witnesses that we saw again there in Deuteronomy 16 and 18 of our Scripture reading. Through all this, Jesus does what? He remains silent. Which, of course, irritated the high priest. He was hoping that Jesus would say something and indict himself. But Jesus wouldn't. He was simply fulfilling Isaiah 53.7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led, led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before four hishers is silent, he opened not his mouth. I mean, these were Bible scholars, the scribes, the doctorates of their day. They knew that passage. They knew Isaiah 53. How could they miss this? How could they not connect the dots? Oh, you and I know. People can't understand scriptures what? Unless God opens minds to receive scripture and understand it. So therefore they could not understand it. They, they could not see the truth. They could not see who Jesus was. And of course Jesus knew that he was innocent. And Jesus knew that he did not, did not have to defend him against these liars. We are so often un- unlike Jesus in this respect. We hastily seek to defend our stuff immediately. I'm not saying we shouldn't respond to a false charge, but what I'm saying is that we have to be wise in how we respond so that we don't make matters worse. Years ago, I guess it's probably been oh, 35 years ago, I remember hearing Charles Stanley take testimony. I went to First Baptist Church Atlanta. I don't know how many of you have ever heard, heard his testimony, but... Most of the people did not love him because he was speaking the truth. At that time, we said that First Baptist Church in Atlanta was a moderate church. And when I say a moderate church, a lot of times a moderate church is filled with unbelievers. And of course, and of course Charles Stanley went in there and he began to preach the gospel. And it upset a lot of them. And they did everything in their power to get rid of Charles Stanley. One day he said that he was having lunch with one of the deacons in the church and he handed him an envelope and said, if you'll take this envelope, it will take care of you for a number of years. Talk about, about bribe. Offering to pay a pastor to leave without making any kind of, kind of scene. And one particular they were having a service and a man actually came up on the pulpit while he was preaching. And this, this particular hit Charles Stanley. That more or less ended the division. Because they were exposed. 
Their wickedness was exposed. 500 members pulled First Baptist and went down the street to start a new church. Eventually, that church had problems. And no, really, what a, what a church is, what my, my friend Pascal calls a goat barn. And that goat barn fell apart. But I mean, but I mean he had to serve. And he simply sim- kept quiet. He said, I will allow God to do my, my fighting for me. And God did his, did his fighting for him and exposed the wicked. And, and here we that God is, is doing the same for Jesus. Here we see that, that he takes a, take a statement out of context, use it again, again, Jesus. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and, and he raised this, this temple up. Now he, of course, was speaking of what? He was speaking of his, his body, not the Jewish temple that took 40-something years to build. So therefore they twi- twisted and distorted his, his words and said something he did and didn't say. I mean, if our Lord was so, so slandered, if he was so, so misrepresented and his words so distorted, then who are we to think that we get a pass on that? Who are we to think we will never be slandered, never criticized, never misrepresented? I mean, why, why are we surprised when people treat us wrongly because we unite it to, to Christ? Did, did not Jesus give us such a warning about how Christians will be per- persecuted for His name's sake in the sermon on the... And He says that we are, we are down at all joy. As Christians... We share in suffering as we are conformed more and more like Jesus. James says, My brother counted all, all joy who fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of other faith produces patience. James 1, 2, and 3. Thirdly, see that Jesus is personally interrogated by the high priest, Iopus. That's there in verse 60 of chapter 14. It, it says, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked, asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? No. What is it these men testify against you? Now, the translation is, is not really good there. It says the high priest stood up. Really, the high priest came forward. The high priest, in other words, came up face to face with, with Jesus. Now, the high priest is not the lawyer. The high priest is to be the judge. judge. No judge to do and do in a trial. He's to simply sit there and regulate what, what takes place. He's not the prosecuting attorney. He, he is to be impartial. And of course, we see that this is not the case here. He stands up and he begins to question Jesus, attempting to condemn Jesus with his own words, seeking to make Jesus bear witness against himself. If you're ever at court, you can use what? We call it. You can plead fifth. In other words, you don't have to say anything. We have the high pressuring Jesus and saying, you must say something. Now, if Jesus would have remained silent, he would not have been so quickly con- condemned. But he really answers the high priest because it was a legitimate question, even though the intent of, of the question was evil. evil. 
And we see there in verse 62, he says, as I am. Now, of course, that I am means more than what meets the eye. You know what I, what I am in the Old Testament. And he goes on and then he says, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming the cloud of heaven. So we see Jesus clearly points out that He is the Messiah. That He alone say that He is the Son of God. And he uses the word the Son of Man. Now the Son of Man is clear, clearly a reference to, to what Daniel tells us in Dan, Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. I was watching the night vision and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with clouds of heaven. He came into the ancient days and then they brought him near before him. Then to him was, was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all, that all people, nations, language serve him. His dominion is in his everlasting dominion which not pass away in his kingdom. The one he bears witness to the fact of the glory come on, on the cloud. So we see quite clearly they understood what Jesus was saying when, when he said he was the son of man sitting at the right hand of power. Now, as you notice, the high priest says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Why the word blessed? Well, again, Jews would not use Yahweh's name, and they were very, very careful in how they used God's name. When they were so, quote, religious, they weren't dare, dare to use God's name. So he says, Blessed, which, of course, refers to, to God. And Jesus, Jesus runs. And then that the high priest responds there. And in one sense, this is, we would say is hilarious. Then the high priest tore his, tore his clothes and said, what, what further need do we have of witnesses? He tears his clothes, we know, to put on a show. To sway Sanhedrin to follow his admission of putting Jesus to death. Again, again, you have to understand that, that the Sanhedrin was a court made up of Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, and Herodians. And these groups agree with one another on many things, but he's trying to unify them and cause them to see a need to put Jesus just to the death. Larry Ferguson said, no, no examination of his claim needed to be, to be made, at, at least the opinion of the Sanhedrin. How could this man, deserted by his fault, standing powerless before them, possible, possibly the glorious Messiah of the Jewish be the glorious Messiah of the Jewish people? The idea was high priest, priest anyway, blasphemous. He tore his robe and called for verdict of, of guilt. Jesus was condemned as worthy of death. Now, in reality, the Lord Jesus Christ was condemned for one reason. That one reason was He claimed to be God. Which, of course, He was. Of course, they didn't agree with that. That's why they put Him to death. Even though many claimed that Jesus was a good man. As I read about the Jewish scholar earlier, he said that the Annas and... Uh, his son-in-law loved Jesus, which, which is a total lie. But, but they saw that Jesus was a good man. They saw that he was a good teacher, that he was a prophet. He was an example. But, but they denied that he was the son of God, that, that he's God. 
Now, even Muslims teach that Jesus was a prophet today. But they totally reject the idea that he was God. And this is why if a Muslim converts to Christianity, he's put to death in Muslim countries. He's baptized. Because when he's baptized, he's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which they totally deny. So therefore, Muslims want to be baptized in a Muslim country that has those particular laws will be put to death. Now let me go back and say something that I mentioned earlier in the sermon about China. I mean, persecution in China has brought about what? The boom of Christianity. If you read anything, anything in the history of China and the first missionaries that were sent over there and what began to take, take place in 1949, there were only... Four million Christians in China. In China today, there are over 67 million Christians. The gospel has boomed and it continues to boom in China. One particular article that I was reading recently said that there will be more Christians in China than the entire population of the United States in 40 years. So how does persecution work? Persecution, as it's been said, blood of the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. How true that is. So therefore, Christianity in China is the fastest growing religion. Seven percent each year. Marvelous. How wonderful. And I said, if it takes persecution in the United States to think the same thing about them own persecution, we need the hostile gospel explode in the United States. We need the gospel to change our nation for the good. And I believe that the same will happen in China. China continues to grow like it's growing to today. Then there in verse 64b, we see the condemnation. And they all condemned him to be, to be deserving of death. I mean, they could not condemn him for his good, good deeds. They could not condemn him for good teachings. They could not even condemn him by the false witnesses, but, but they condemned him for saying that he, he was God, that he was the Son of Man, that he was, was the Son of God. This court was to be a just court, but we see, see they were not a just court. They did not follow their, their law. They were to, to investigate the claim that Jesus made. They were to send out people to see what people said and what people had heard him say and what Jesus had done. I mean, if they would have simply taken the Old Testament and said, okay, everything that Jesus said, let's see if it's in the Old Testament, they would have heard and found out that it was there. Everything that he had done, everything that he had said was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. But they closed their eyes to the evidence. Even though they were required by their own law to prove that his claim was false. They could never have proved that his claim was false. But they were not interested in justice. They only had one intent, and that was to get rid of Jesus. And they were not going to spend another moment on the case. It was over as far as they were concerned once he made his claim. They, they weren't interested in the truth or the evidence. They only desired Jesus to be put to death. Now the high priest did not realize it. The significance of tearing his robe 
But in doing so, he was symbolizing that, that the old economy, the priesthood, the temple, was passing away, and the new priest arrived. Jesus Christ himself in the order of Melchizedek. Was they, they stood before them, them. The new kingdom was coming. new covenant was fulfilled. Jesus came came replace it after the order of Melchizedek and the temple we know would be destroyed in 70 A.D. Now notice it says there, they, they all condemned him. What does this tell us? It tells us that, that there was two individuals that evidently we're not told that they were meeting that night to put Jesus, Jesus to death to prosecute him. Where is Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea? If all of them agreed to, to condemn him, evidently those two men were not there. And we see evidence later of their continuing to be faithful disciples to Jesus. No, what group met on this particular night was, was the devil's crowd. Those hated Jesus and their hatred was, was played in this way. It was, it was very obvious. But yet we, we know, as we see, see in the backs, that God ordained all of this to take place using sinful men to carry out their, their sinful deeds. Now, this sentence of death it's very, very important for the Scripture to teach us that there must be one to, to die for the salvation of the people. As, as we quite clearly in John chapter 11, verse, verse 49 through 50, 51. John chapter 11, verse 49 through 51. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest, priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. But, but this he did not say on his own authority. Being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And this, of course, was said just right after Lazarus had been, been raised from the dead, and they got, they got so upset because, because so many were being converted. Jesus was sentenced to death, not for himself, but as a substitutionary atonement for his people. This had to be accomplished so that our sins would be, would be transferred to him. So that we might be set free from the bondage of sin. So we might be set free from the penalty of sin. Christ through all of this, all of the beating, all of that which took place at His crucifixion, all of the suffering He suffered under the wrath of God, all of that was to save His people from their sin. As the hymn says, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my, my pardon his blood. Hallelujah. But Savior. Let us pray.